Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Zach. And I'm Seth. And we're the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. We are the Classic Gaming Brothers. Now, depending on how we do things this time around, this might be coming to you late at night, or it may be coming during its normal time. We haven't really decided that at the time of this recording. Anyway, this is going to be our Classic Gaming Brothers After Dark episode. We are going to be talking about some adult material. So if you are a child who is listening to this episode, or if your children are nearby you when you are listening to this episode. This might not be the episode to listen out loud. This is the episode that you listen to on your headphones or in your car by yourself. Yes. This is not the episode that you play for background music while you're cooking. So this is our content warning that this will be an adult-themed episode, except for our recently played and our byweight pass. Those are normal. So Zach, what have you been up to recently? Seth, recently I've been playing a game called From Below. So From Below came out in 2020, made by Matt Hewson, and it's a game for the original Nintendo Entertainment System. I've been playing it via an emulator. From Below is kind of cool, so it's if you just kind of look at the game from a screenshot or so, you'll probably think, this looks like Tetris. And you'd be right, because it is Tetris. It's a version of Tetris. However, unique to this game that's different than Tetris is that in this game, your Tetris board is being attacked by the Kraken, as in the giant squid monster. Oh. And he's like pushing up tentacles and stuff to shift your blocks so not only are you trying to arrange blocks in four rows nice and neat so that you get points but you're also trying to fight this monster that is trying to mess that up so what happens is as you're playing a tentacle will start appearing at the bottom of your screen and then it will push up a portion of your blocks um, which could mess up your your pattern. It's kind of a unique way of doing a puzzle game. Uh, there's a couple other modes in the game too, but I haven't really explored those as it's a fairly recently released game. But I've been enjoying it. It's available on itch.io. Um, so look up from below. Since it was developed for the NES, you can put it on a flash cart and put it into a regular NES. Yeah, absolutely. I don't have a flash cart for my NES or my Famicom, but um, either way, it should work. At some point, I will probably get a flash cart for either my NES or my Famicom, and at, at, at that point, I will throw it on there and be able to play the game in its original glory as it should be played on the original system. That's right. So recently, I've been playing uh, with my brother, Buddy Simulator 1984. You have been. Which Buddy Simulator was developed by an, a studio called Not A Sailor Studios. And it is a kind of creepy game where a video game or software essentially takes on a consciousness and is creepy. So Zach and I played Buddy Simulator. There was a some Steam event, I think it was in the spring, where we went through and we, de- we played, I want to say we played like six hours worth of demos. Like we played like 30 minutes here, 10 minutes there of these different demos. And we just kept switching through. One of the last games that we played was Buddy Simulator 1984. Because we were playing a lot of, I felt like we played a lot of horror games. Mm. Was it during 
think maybe it was during Halloween. I don't remember. I think we just like horror games. I we do also just like horror games. So Buddy Simulator was part of this horror games collection, and we played through it, and it was really, really, really cool. The beginning of it starts off as a very basic, almost like a DOS-based input, and you play very basic games with a computer such as hangman or rock paper scissors and it actually finds a game and is like oh we could play this game and it's like a basic excel from like the 80s afterwards the game starts to you have to actually restart the game and as you restart the game it develops a more full-featured game. So, like, the first time you restart it, it becomes, like, a Zork-type game. Yeah. And then eventually starts moving towards almost, like, a Pokemon-style-type game. And then, like, almost, like, a 3D Final Fantasy. Like, a basic 3D. Not, like, real, like, 3D, but, like, a basic 3D type of, like, Final Fantasy-style-type game. And it's just really, really cool watching the game evolve. And it's also kind of creepy. Certain things come up and you're like, oh, wow, I was not expecting that. And, um... It's fun. We sh- have played this on Twitch. If the the VODs, Video On Demand, are not available on our Twitch, which is at Classic Gaming Brothers, you should be able to find them on YouTube. So you can watch it. It should be called Classic Gaming Brothers Playthrough Buddy Simulator. Yeah. And we will we'll have a complete run of the game on YouTube to watch, which is at Classic Gaming Brothers. So check those out if you're interested in knowing more about Buddy Simulator 1984. But overall, a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun playing through with Zach, and we appreciate um, if you wa- if you did watch any of it. Definitely, like we appreciate you watching. But yeah, so yeah, Buddy Simulator 1984. Now the topic we've all been waiting for. So as evident by the name of the episode and the episode, this is episode 69. It's so nice. <laughs> so Zach, Zach and I wouldn't be able to be the children that we are if we did not dedicate the episode 69 to video games that are more risque That's right. in their nature. Perhaps even even existing of pornographic in nature. Ooh. Ooh. So we're going to we're going to go through and we'll we'll talk about some interesting games that were developed, but older style games as it all starts rule 34 of the internet says that if it exists there is a porn of it and rule 35 i believe says if there's no porn like wait a bit or something like that yeah if there's no porn there will be yeah there will be right anyway as such since the dawn of electronic games there has been electronic adult games it has been also a pretty much a point of controversy and used as an example for people who want to Restrict video games, such as Joe Lieberman, who we talked about during our most controversial video game episode, where we talk about Night Trap, which is episode 47. Or Jack Thompson, who was an anti-video game lawyer, who often cited the existence of pornographic content as condemnation of the entire industry. Which is, I guess he lost, right? I mean, video games is a multi-billion dollar industry. and I don't know if he's still on that crusade, but I know back in the early 2000s and stuff, he was a popular subject on like channels like G4. I think they did a debate with Jack Thompson and like Adam Sessler from uh, Attack of the Show. Good stuff. Those are some names you probably haven't heard in a while. G4, Attack of the Show. Or Adam, was Adam Sessler from Cheat? I don't remember. He's actually 69 years old this year. Oh, nice. Happy birthday, Jack Thompson. As of July. We should have him on our so show. We should have him on our show. He does not like violence or sex in video games. No, he does not. Anyway, so before video games even were a thing, there was 
a video game company that had a little bit of a lewd history. Mm. Nintendo, everyone's favorite family-friendly company, did have a brief time in the 1960s when they ran love hotels. These hotels, uh, they charged by the hour and were primarily marketed to individuals who were looking to have romantic encounters. Nintendo's hotel venture didn't last too long, and they soon tried other products such as taxi services and electronic toys. One of those stuck. Which, <laughs> which the electronic toys eventually led them to video games, <laughs> which I think they're pretty good at. Yeah. They might not have been good at love hotels, but they're pretty good at video games. Or a taxi service. <laughs> <laughs> if you combine a taxi service with a love hotel, they could have had an empire. One of the earliest, if not the very first game to feature overt sexual themes was the 1981 text-based soft porn adventure, which was published by online systems which eventually became sierra online and it was published for the apple II. soft porn adventures features an unnamed character who while down on their luck begins to search for items that will hopefully win him the affections of three women the game was developed by chuck benton who reportedly based it entirely on his life which if you live as you do in an adventure game where you need to collect random items to accomplish goals i don't know what to tell you soft porn adventures was uh, completely written in applesoft basic and later ported to the atari 8-bit line of computers ms dos PC-88, PC-98, Sharp XI, and the FM-7. The box art is rather notorious as it features a male waiter who is sitting in a hot tub with three nude women. Obviously, their sensitive parts are covered by the water yes. in the hot tub. So the hot tub in the box art is owned or was owned, I don't know if they own the hot tub anymore, but was owned by Ken and Roberta Williams, who were the founders of online systems and would eventually make online systems Sierra Online. Roberta Williams, one of the founders, is in the photograph as one of the three women who are nude, or at least yeah. implied nude, along with Rick Chipman, who was a waiter of a local restaurant they just got him to come on down hey models models are expensive it's true oh another fun fact about soft porn adventure was just that apparently it was not intended to be published um chuck benton apparently just kind of wrote it to, as a programming exercise in basic and he showed it to a couple of his friends and they're like hey you should sell this and he was like i should sell it <laughs> and he ended up uh producing about a thousand copies of the game so chuck benton wrote it for himself and then <laughs> then showed it off to his friends creepily and they said this is great <laughs> yeah and then he sold a thousand copies which he, where he originally produced a thousand copies it then got picked up oh. by sierra or well, at the yeah. time online. so who knows how many copies millions maybe so reportedly the released version of soft porn adventure um sold 50,000 copies. Wow. Which is not bad. They, they had a re-released version on the Atari. So I mean, it's hard to baseline these against... I'm, it's, you have to baseline them against their own category because right, I'm yeah. sure there's... It's not like you're comparing it against like the sales of, say, Goldeneye or something. Right, yeah, exactly. Which has a little more broad appeal. <laughs> I'm just thinking of all the adventure games that I played and the, the objects I picked up would, would not help go further with my <laughs> textual escapades. <laughs> 
Well, also, this game wasn't all text-based, so it was like playing Zork, but sexy as Zork. Can't get sexier than yeah, Zork, though. This, yeah, that's right. It's a completely text-based. I haven't had the pleasure of booting it up yet, so... You know what? If it's, if it's for the Apple II, I can get it. Oh, you can get it. You can get it. Soft porn adventures would inspire other games, including a game that we will talk about a little later. That's right. About a man who has an adventure. Yeah, so before we get into that other game, in 1982, there was a new video game company that began to release unlicensed, essentially bootleg cartridges for the Atari 2600. And this company, Mystique, released some very classy titles, such as Beat'em and Eat'em, Custer's Revenge, and Bachelor Party, all of which are very explicit porn games. <laughs> like, you know, soft porn adventures, I, I assume they kind of beat around the bush when it came to the sexual content, as like uh, some of these early games would, but these games were pretty explicit. Interestingly enough about Mystique is they sold their games under Swedish Erotica as their like banner, though they were... Um, oh, so like that was their porn name. No, their their porn name was Mystique, but the genre. Oh, it's like oh, it's like a gold box. The genre games were called like the genre of the porn games was Swedish erotica. Right. So instead of gold box, it was Swedish erotica. Right. What's weird though is Mystique is an American company, and the games are manufactured in Hong Kong and <laughs> nothing to do with Sweden. Yeah, but maybe there's like that allure. Yeah, um, allure. Yeah, it's just when you look at um, when you look at a game like Beat 'Em and Eat 'Em, you think that's some <laughs> Swedish erotica right there. <laughs> These games are notorious for being gratuitous at the time, uh, featuring full nudity, controllable sex scenes. It's stuff that even with the disclaimer that we provided at the beginning, I don't feel comfortable describing. It's <laughs> just because they. They are, they are fairly gratuitous, despite being Atari games from the 1980s. So these weren't money makers for Mystique. They went out of business just a, like a year or so after they released the titles. They would get picked up by another company called Playaround, who began distributing them on multi-cart packs. Not necessarily like one cartridge with a bunch of games on it, multi-carts. They were physically two-sided cartridges for the Atari, where on one side you had one game, and on the other side you had another game. You just had to flip the game over to play oh, the... Yeah, fun. it's called a double ender, which also sounds vaguely erotic. So... A double entendre? Double entendre, maybe. Yes. They also rebranded a lot of the Mystique titles, as well as created some of their own pornographic titles under this new brand of play around. Um, one of their titles is just called X-Man which has nothing to do with the X-Men. Oh. oh, I think I have that in my Atari list of games. And I almost booted it up. Because you thought it was X-Men? <laughs> oh, you yes. already have been in for an interesting and... surprise, Seth. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I'm glad that we had this episode before I did that. I would keep an eye out for another game called Philly Flasher you might see in there. That's also a fairly explicit game i literally no i'm i'm dead serious i saw x-man in my list of atari games and i made a mental note to go back and play that <laughs> game because i thought it was x-men play it when the night the night is late and the lights are out make sure no one enters the room for a bit because it's gonna get steamy i i just like that like they use night trap when in court proceedings but when they had like these games that they could have picked on oh yeah yeah these games were actual sex games these weren't like you know, Night Trap, which is like, the girl wears a negligee. It's like, there are naked people in these Atari games. Question, though. So they got redistributed, right? So yeah. there had to be some success in them. Do you think they sold more copies than E.T.? <laughs> oh, I hope. <laughs> I'd imagine so. Uh, uh, 
so games like this, they you wouldn't buy this at a video game store unless it was a really seedy video game store. <laughs> you <laughs> you wouldn't be going to like Funko Land or Blockbuster and renting them. The, these games were often sold in adult video stores, adult bookstores. Sometimes even strip clubs would sell them. And a lot of times they also came packaged in discreet leather cases, like faux leather cases. Actually, the cases are sometimes more sought after than the games themselves because they're really nice cases. They're, they're these like faux maroon leather like very classy like a nice book you know when you open it up and there's your copy of beat em and eat em in the inside or oh. custer's revenge <laughs> it's, it's, it's nasty games <laughs> is that a mole is that a moleskin i see or is <laughs> that a beat em and eat em so jumping ahead now a few years after mystique did their whole thing we have 1987 giving us the release of possibly the one of the most famous adult video games Leisure Suit Larry in the Land of the Lounge Lizards. Uh, the first Leisure Suit Larry was built using the adventure game Interpreter, similar to King's Quest, and it was a graphical remake of Softborn Adventure. Oh, oh, there we go. The, so now the unnamed person who was really just Chuck Benton has a graphical personality. That's right. That's right. Of Larry Laffer. That's right. Yes, Larry Laffer, who's the the character in Leisure Suit Larry, he later gets renamed to Larry Lovedge, I think in the later games, so like in the more recent games. But Larry's this womanizing middle-aged individual who's just looking to get lucky in the high-stakes city of Lost Wages. It's a great name for a city. Yeah, Lost Wages, Nevada. The game was played via a text parser. So we've talked about text parsers before. We talked about them in our Sierra episode with that we did with Damien. Basically, the individual would have to input a command in order to achieve certain goals. Um, so you'd say, like, grab this in a sex game that sounds weird but, but that's the idea <laughs> or uh, go to door go to go door to yeah, scene, exactly. Uh, exactly open door so Leisure Suit Larry was designed by Al Lowe who had actually helped work on King's, uh, the King's Quest series he worked I believe on King's Quest 2 and 3 on release of the game it did pretty badly with only about 4,000 copies being sold uh, which was partially just due to stores simply refusing to stock the game at all word of mouth though spread about the game and it kind of started to grow in in popularity overall it did end up selling about 300,000 units and interestingly enough the game's demographics for most reports indicated that it was primarily women buying these games it wasn't men um it was a strong demographic in in women who were who were purchasing leisure suit larry maybe it's because as we noted earlier women had a strong connection towards adventure games that's right i mean i was growing up during this time at least as a child adventure games are hard to come by sometimes yeah so. yeah true i think also it definitely helped that larry wasn't a character who was like not really someone i think guys would look up to he's kind of a loser he is a loser yeah, yeah so like you're, pl- you're not playing as a hero you're not playing as like this macho man you're playing as this kind of like jackass who just thinks he's hotter than he is sort of deal it thinks that he's like god's gift to women but obviously his ego is bigger than not going any further but i i I assume there's some appeal in that you know it's different kind of game i think there there there's definitely a sense of satire that people were able to see the game was popular enough to warrant a remake actually in 1991 they did a remake utilizing the sierra creative interpreter or sci as we talked about in our sierra games a lot of sierra titles got remade in the 90s with the sci engine usually helped boost the graphic fidelity and right. um, also changed the games from being text parsers to being mouse driven titles uh the game also spawned a franchise uh with 11 total games following the first one including a crowdfunded remake in 2013 
2019 and two titles released not only last year but also one coming out this year for both pc and android and ios yeah laser shoot larry is definitely a mainstream adult only video game it's it's weird he's kind of to lack of a better word he kind of straddles the (laughs) um (laughs) both sides of like kind of like your your mainstream distributions and your adult only type of video games and how they used to kind of go out Leisure Suit Larry kind of bridges that gap where maybe don't want to play Leisure Suit Larry as like uh, a 15 year old in front of your mom. But if you're in your 20s and in college, Leisure Suit Larry is probably a fine game to play. Yeah. And and to be fair on Leisure Suit Larry's part, I think most of the games aren't as overtly sexual as like our misty games that we talked about um you know they they kind of straddle the line on being more like soft core as you could maybe describe them where they they are very sexual in nature but it never gets to the point of being anything more than um maybe a quick glance at something or, or something like that it's it's never any overt or explicit nudity or or sexual content I, I don't even know if the later games actually got an esrb rating of an ao i think they only really remained as m-rated titles for those who don't know ao is the kind of like that's the porn rating basically it's the rating that it's yep. yeah like porn and ultra violent games will get yeah um manhunt actually i think received an ao rating yes yes initially yeah and then they had to tone it down i think for the yep re-release and australia banned it yes yeah so like esrb ratings i think we talked about esrb ratings at one point in time i think with the most controversial game we talked about esrb ratings esrb ratings are vitally important to a video game company as as important as movie ratings are to a movie production company because if your game gets rated to be an ao game you may be banned from countries yeah which you don't want to be banned from entire countries because that could be cutting off millions of dollars worth of sales so it's it's important for unless you're unless you're going for like a niche product unless you're like you you believe that your product is above you know it's art or something like that and you want to put it out regardless of what the rating is and who you sell it to because you don't want to sell you know you don't necessarily need to sell it but if you're like a company that wants to make money you don't want to necessarily hit an AO rating because then you may have issues down the road like rockstar did with manhunt and other games as we'll get into it also to correct myself a few of the later released leisure suit larry's did get an ao rating but only on the pc uh the console port versions were almost always rated m though i do see that the very very cleverly titled leisure suit larry magna cum laude is rated ao for pc that's a it's it's a funny named game. Yes, it is. They have they have very they have they, they all, funny inappropriate they're all great puns. titles. It's like they're so like goofy and obviously sophomoric. But yeah, like the the one right after that was box office bust. And then there's uh the most recent titles are Leisure Suit Larry, Wet Dreams Don't Dry, and Wet Dreams Dry Twice. So being that uh, pornographic games have a hard time getting through normal channels of distribution, bootleg games is often kind of like a secondary way of getting pornographic materials into the home video game systems. So in 1991, a game called Bubble Bath Babes was a fairly well-known unlicensed cartridge for the Nintendo Entertainment System and the Sega Genesis, or uh, Mega Drive system, along with two other games called Hot Slot and 
peekaboo poker. These games were often simple puzzle games where you were able to unlock pornographic content. So peekaboo poker was a poker game, but maybe the women would take their clothes off or something like that. These games were developed by a company called CNE. As console gaming grew more and more in popularity, the amount of sexual and adult content in games began to decrease overall. Uh, while some games may have featured nudity, uh, such as the God of War games, the Witcher series, these games have nudity in them, but overall, these games, it wasn't like their driving feature, and it was just, it was like part of the experience. Yeah. And I think still both God of War and the Witcher series, they still have M-rated games. However, that's on your home consoles. On a computer, you have a little more flexibility to change things around so often unauthorized patches and mods add sexual content to popular pc games some of this is done completely by the modder going down and changing and adding textures and assets to a game such as into skyrim or fallout making these games sexual through the use of mods the sims i believe as well yeah they have like where you can add things to make them more sexual games however in some instances some inaccessible mini games actually were unlocked through hacking and there was a well-known issue in the gta grand theft auto san andreas game where the main character can initiate fairly explicit sex with a sex worker in a mod known as the hot coffee mod using in-game assets and i don't i think it was like it was like it was like a mini game and it looked like it was built by rockstar and then they stopped it but then they locked it and then someone else got access to the, the additional code and then they modded it so that it unlocked it it got to the point where it almost had san andreas get the ao rating by that point it would have had been pulled from the stores which would have been really sad because san andreas is a phenomenal gta game hot coffee mod standing i think gta san andreas is a great game and it would have been sad if they got an ao but it goes back to our point where the ratings are important to video games especially to big video game companies. One of the things that the Hot Coffee Mod did was it actually raised a lot of public attention toward games like GTA and in and, and these titles. I mean, this is where you started to have people like Jack Thompson. And also, Hillary Clinton was involved in, 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 a, in a push for further regulations on video games and restricting content uh, in terms of sexual content and violence. So I think it was really in rockstar's best interest to make sure this hot coffee thing didn't stick around just because i mean they didn't probably want to open up the can of worms that could have been opened up if they had left it in right now in the united states uh we have always been a more violence over sex type country we love our violence we're we're very prudish when it comes to sex not so much in other countries it's kind of actually a swap in a lot of other countries, Europe and in Japan specifically, violence is toned down more and sex is toned up. And in Japan specifically, uh, sexual content in games was a bit more prominent, especially on computer systems such as the FM8 and the PC8801. These titles were referred to as a genre called a rogue and usually consisted of rpg games or visual novels uh while a rogue is popular among the indie game developer scene i think partly because 
at least for visual novels, it's cheap. Oh yeah, hundred percent. There's plenty available tools for building RPG games and visual novels that are low cost. And like, if you get RPG Maker, I think RPG Maker might have a visual novel component in the most recent version. And you know, you pay what seventy dollars for the license, and then you're good for life <laughs> until they update it. So <laughs> you can make as many games as you want. So even though it is a popular genre for those who are developing as an indie developer, companies such as Enix, who's done Dragon Quest, Square, who's done Final Fantasy, and Nihon Falcom, who's done the Yeez series, or the YS series yeah, of games, <laughs> Yeez. Yeez. all produced Eroge titles of their own because it sells. Oh, yeah. So a, a big company is not going to not produce it, especially in, in Japan, where it's pop, more popular than selling it in America. Some adult games were also available on the Sega Saturn, but uh, Japanese lobby groups actually pushed for Sega of Japan to remove them. Also in Japan, pornographic content is heavily censored, often with nudity being covered by either a black bar or a mosaic tile-like effect. So the games may have more prominent nudity and they may be more over-sexualized than in America. Uh, However, that nudity would be also censored. And I think to kind of give you an idea of just how much kind of, how sexual content in games is just a little bit more prominent. There's a YouTuber who I watch and I can't remember his name at the moment, but he was on a quest to collect different country versions of the Lego Island game, which we talked about in our Lego episode. And he really wanted the Japanese copy of Lego Island, which was apparently kind of hard to find. And he was in Japan and he went to multiple video game stores. Now, in one of the video game stores that he went to, the entire second floor was PC games. But when I say the entire second floor was PC games, I don't mean like adventure games and stuff. I mean, the entire second floor was porn, except for one small bookcase in the very back of the porn section that had some adventure games including uh not lego island because they didn't have a copy of it at the time pretty much he had to walk through an entire floor of porn to find one section of non-porn games just because it's so much different over there i mean it's not the same as in the way we view things like pornography and stuff where it's kind of you have to go to this clandestine location to find it or you know it's like you have to go to the back of a building you know they're a little more they're a little more behind open the, about behind it, the co- behind the curtain behind the curtain you know it's yeah you know it's 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 a little more like secretive it's a little more hush hush it's a little more out in the open there it's just that's just a cultural difference and it's like that in other countries too amsterdam um you know the netherlands and other parts of europe um i know they're they're a bit more open about that sort of thing but they might not be like seth said they might not be so cool with violence right anyway uh so that is going to be our classic gaming brothers after dark episode yes uh if we were committing to this joke completely, you might have gotten this episode in the evening. That gives me a whole, like, few more hours to work on this episode. No. <laughs> we're probably still going to release it in the normal time. And with that, that's going to be it. Yes. I I, I say I was going to say I doubt we're going to come back to these topics, but who knows? Who knows? Maybe you'll play X-Man. You'll want to talk about it. I, maybe. <laughs> I'm now not going to be... I mean, I'm just glad that you told me because I feel like... <laughs> If I I was gonna I was a, literally gonna now I wish I didn't tell you because you would have like messaged I me know. a few like probably right after playing it being like what did I just play by accident. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, well, there's that. So we're going to wrap everything up with our good old by weight pass segment. I'm going to go first since you went first last time. What I'm excited to buy weight pass on is a game called Cyanide and Happiness Freak Apocalypse. It came out uh, March 11th, 2021, but due to pod time, I actually haven't been able to get to play it right now, but I did kickstart it back in September of 2017. So I'm excited to play it. I mean, spoiler, it's going to be a buy, but I wanted to talk about the game. So the creator Creators of Cyanide and Happiness, who who create some great comics online, I'm sure you've seen them. They have also created uh, two board games, Joking Hazard and Trial by Trolley, which are hilarious. Definitely have a dark humor aspect to their style of drawings and tends to be sometimes very shock in regards to their comedy. Uh, They created a point-and-click adventure, and that is what I'm excited about buying because I like Cyanide and Happiness, and I like point-and-click adventure games. So putting them together is going to be great or horrible. Nice. But I think it's going to be great. So I'm excited to play it. I'm sure I'll talk about it in a upcoming episode for my recently played segment since I will probably be recently playing it and uh, you will hear more about it. But for now, check it out. And what about you? Uh, Seth, my buy weight pass is actually a game that was recently announced during the Pokemon anniversary event. So Pokemon just had its 25th anniversary event. So it's a 25 year old game. Pretty exciting for for Pokemon. They announced the um, development of a game coming out in 2022, Pokemon Legends Arceus. I'm pretty sure I'm saying that correctly. But if I'm not, Pokemon fans, please yell at me. I would appreciate it. Uh, so Pokemon Arceus is the first open world Pokemon game, period. So like the Pokemon games are already kind of open world because they are RPG games. But this is like, this is like Skyrim open world. This is like big open world Pokemon game. <laughs> this is like proper open world. Are they going to, are they going to gatekeep behind like badges and stuff like they did in? Oh, I don't think so. I'm pretty sure this That's is like, you do you, th- you do your thing from what the way it looks. The idea is this is set before any of those things. It's set before the Pokemon world that we know of. It's the earliest Pokemon game to date in terms of its place in the timeline. Um, So you're exploring the Sinnoh region in this kind of, uh, story to create the region's first pokedex and i think it looks really really cool because it's combining familiar elements of like older history in terms of some of the settings so in the trailer they showed your character leaving their town and it like it looks like an old like ancient japanese town like that you'd see in like a samurai movie i mean it looks really cool and and it's giving me all these vibes of being like a proper almost like fantasy version of pokemon you know the the pokeballs themselves look like they're almost like they're not like technology they're like made of like metal two chunks of metal together you know i, I don't know it looks really really cool despite how cool it looks though i'll probably put it down as a weight i like pokemon i, I actually think pokemon's a really great game i'm very behind in all the pokemon games the last pokemon game i think i played was soul silver um which was i think out on the ds but um yeah, I haven't I haven't played Pokemon games a lot recently. I think they're really fun. I, I think this one looks really cool, mostly because I think it's doing something new with the Pokemon world. And um, I'm always up for when Pokemon tries something new. I loved Pokemon Snap. That was something new. And I'm sure I'll give this game a shot. I'm going to put it down as a wait, though. Just, you know, I'll wait until the game comes out, gets a little bit of attention from those Pokemon fans, see what they think. Then I'll jump in. Great. 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 And that's our episode. That is episode 69. Anyway, if you still want to 
listen to us after this, I'm going to go into how you can. There's, <laughs> there's a couple ways that you can listen to us, support us, and contact us. First, if you want to listen to us, you're already doing that. You're hearing us somehow to get to this dialogue, so thus, keep doing what you're doing. Or, if you would like an alternative, you can search for any podcasting app, and uh, we should be on it, uh, such as Spotify, Stitcher, or iTunes. Uh, you can then also, if you so desire, go to our website, ClassicGamingBrothers.com. And there, there's the lounge and you can sit and you can just sit back in your chair and play some episodes right there on the browser and if that's not enough and you want to after listening to an episode you are pissed and you want to send an email to us about your hatred for the topic that we just did you can send an email by going to this contact us portion of the website and filling out the form if you don't want to fill out the form you can send us as an email at classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com you can also send it to seth at classicgamingbrothers.com zach at classicgamingbrothers.com or even classicgamingbrothers at classicgamingbrothers.com all of them go to the same email box and we'll read and respond to all of your feedback it's we we love getting feedback from listeners uh whether it be uh, a short line or a detailed analysis of the episode either or we we appreciate all of the feedback and like to read and respond to that now so that's how you can listen to contact us and to support us listening to us is the best support that we can get tuning in every week to get to another episode is something that we appreciate you can also rate and review us on any of the podcasting apps to make sure that we track right to the algorithm so that more people can find us and you can let three of your friends know that you listen to classic gaming brothers and it's a great podcast and they should check it out sometimes what i would recommend if you know the friend well recommend us specifically specific episode of a topic that they may already like. We've got a lot to choose from since this is episode 69, so there are 69 episodes. Maybe not refer this episode because this is kind of a niche topic, but I mean, I guess all of our topics are niche topics, but maybe if your friend really likes uh, Super Mario 64 or maybe Goldeneye, uh, you could refer some of those episodes to them. Uh, we also have uh, a number of episodes with wonderful guests that have joined us on this uh, this wonderful journey of ours, and they can always check those out as well. And yeah, so that's really how you can... Oh, of course, supporting us, you can also find us on all of our social medias. So if you could find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Twitch. So our Facebook and Instagram are at Classic Gaming Brothers, and you can drop us a like and subscribe on those, and we will always release that information when our episodes drop. We'll also try and output when we go live on Twitch. Our Twitter is CG Brothers Pod, and that we also let everyone know that um, when our episodes drop, and we also let you know when we're live on Twitch. And then finally is our twitch.tv slash Classic Gaming Brothers. We also have VS Classic Gaming Brothers for Zach's view when we play multiple player games but so that's you got those so twitch.tv slash classic gaming brothers give us a follow and you'll know when we go live and we play games and you feel free to join in and chat and do all that twitch activity yeah so there's that uh, we also have a youtube which is at classic gaming brothers we generally use that to dump our twitch videos into uh and to store them away for a rainy day and that's everything i think uh zach is there anything i'm missing oh yeah don't play games like my brother and don't play games like my brother i've been zach and i've been seth and we've been the classic gaming brothers that's right that's it you um one thing i forgot to mention is that there was a porn game that apparently was released in the arcade like it mm. wasn't in arcades but it was an arcade porn game that's 
and like ah, that sounds like the worst let's just like it's like imagine, those like those like, um movie theaters that were like yeah like movie theaters. <laughs>